The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor. I'm the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I am also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and I am a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm a coach and endurance athlete in Raleigh, North Carolina, father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Awesome. Eric, what you been up to lately, man? I'm eating less meat, apparently, George. <laughs> so you say. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of, it was a little bit random, but uh, I actually decided, you know what? I typically would just take home whatever was left over from the night before. Because we would, we typically make large meals. We've got a lot of, you know, we've got three teenagers we're feeding. You mean you would take it to, you mean you would take it to work? Yes, I'm gotcha. sorry. Would, I'm with you. <laughs> did I say take it home? Yes. yes. You did. I was, I was like, that dude, where, where are you home. eating dinner? <laughs> it's the work from home thing, right? So, but anyway, so we also typically one of our kids will bring home a couple of friends, so we make a lot of food, mm. and and so we have a lot of leftovers. So I would just take whatever was in the fridge left over in the container it was in, regardless of the size. <laughs> I would take that to work, and that was my lunch. And you know, more often than not, it's some chicken dish, turkey dish, leftover hamburgers, something along those lines, spaghetti and meatballs. And just about, it's probably about two months ago, I said, I need to stop doing that. And I didn't put on like the COVID-15 or anything. I actually, I, I ran more, biked more, so it, it didn't really affect me. But I, I felt kind of heavy after those meals, like mm -hmm. not heavy as in like fat, but heavy as in like drugged oh, down by that yeah. big meal and at first i tried to just eat less and that never works you know if i if if there's one container and i'm getting ready to go to work i take the container and then once i get to work i don't use the work refrigerator i i'm gonna eat everything in the container that's that's kind of who i am i'm a clean i'm in the clean the plate club you know so i said you know what i'm not gonna do that anymore so i've actually probably four out of five days of the week i've had for lunch um, a mixture of quinoa, beans, and an avocado. Like no cheese, no meat, just just quinoa, beans, and an avocado all mashed up together. And I really like all three of those things. And mixed together, they're like this superfood. I mean, literally, like most people would say, that's a superfood. And I could not believe just how less drugged down I was by my meal for the rest of the day. And then when I got home... Uh, we, we had sort of our big meal, um, probably not the best thing to have a big meal your last meal of the day, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to be careful and like worry about, oh man, I had all this food for lunch. Now I'm going to have all this food for dinner and all that stuff. And so it kind of turned out to be a thing for me. I've, like I said, I've been doing it for about two months now and I feel like it's having an effect. Like I'm not necessarily weighing myself every day and saying I weigh less, but I certainly feel better and mm -hmm. at work. I don't feel like I need that extra cup of coffee after lunch mm -hmm. and then after the cup of coffee, after the cup of coffee, after lunch, mm -hmm. um, to stay awake. So uh, I'm going to keep doing this. Seems cool, to be man. working for me. Hasn't really affected my performance running. I don't feel like drug, like, like any lack of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, we'll see how it goes. Right on, I think man. you should add some salsa to your quinoa bean avocado bowl. It would be amazing. <laughs> so, you know, I like to mention people that we know. And one of those people that I work with is Lee Ragsdale. Mm -hmm. And I gave him some of the best salsa I've ever had in my life. And he, well, was, keeping it, well, he was keeping it in the fridge at work. So I just used it. <laughs> and I used to have an endless you were supply. You were that guy at your workplace? You were the one who took other people's stuff out of the workplace refrigerator? Other people's stuff that I gave him. <laughs> Do you, so, do, you need to, do you need to look up the definition of the word give? That means it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to him now. <laughs> but, 
It's not there anymore. The <laughs> bottom line is it's not there anymore, and I got to figure out how to fix that. Yeah. I used to have an endless supply, but then we moved to our new home. Let's just say it got lost in the mix. What is this amazing salsa? Right. It's it's this amazing salsa, and I think it's the, the name of the place down in St. Peter's. It's not Malamia's. It's something like that, though, and it's Caribbean hot sauce, and it is the hottest hot sauce I've ever had in my life, but it also has a sweet, like, tangy thing to it. It's one of those where if you just keep eating it, you're okay, but when you stop, you start sweating and hurting. <laughs> it actually... Funny, just real quick, funny story. I was eating that for lunch one day. I might've told you guys this. I was eating it for lunch because I had that and some like like pimento cheese and, and crackers. And I'm just kind of like, that was my lunch because I was working from home and I'm eating that. And Grace comes in and says, hey, do you want to run with me after work? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll run with you after work. Well, this was kind of a late lunch for me. It was like three o'clock. The day was over at <laughs> no. like 4.30. We go for a run. About a half a mile into this run, I am on my knees with the worst like <laughs> burning chest pain I've ever had in my life. I had to take my heart rate monitor off because I it, it just felt <laughs> like I was like dying to the point where someone actually pulled up next to us on the side of the road and rolled his window down. This is yeah. during COVID. And it's like, hey, do you guys need help? Do, do I need to take you to the hospital? Because he thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah, he did. And what is Grace doing? George, what do you think Grace is doing? Oh, she's totally laughing at you. She's laughing <laughs> yeah. her little butt off. I like how you say that, that as if Grace is the only person who would be doing that. Pretty much everybody you and I both know would be doing that. Michelle would be doing that. I oh, would for sure. Be doing that. Yeah. And she's like waving the guy off. No, no, he'll be fine. That's dude. exactly what I would do. Because they he do does this all the time. Lunch. Now yeah. about a keel over. So anyway, long story short, I agree. I agree. I need to get some salsa at work to add to my quinoa, Good. beans, and avocado. Please and just, do that. Just, and just for the record, just for the record too, since both of y'all have used the phrase quinoa, I always say quinoa. Oh um, God! And so, and so, so just in case anybody's listening to it, going quinoa, these snobs talking about quinoa, it's quinoa. Just know I pronounce it quinoa. Michelle, what you been up to? Uh. <laughs> I don't have nearly as exciting anything like that to share, but uh, well, I mean, yeah. a few things came out today that I think are worth mentioning. Um, Amy Hastings Craig, 2012-2016 uh, Olympian, announced her retirement, her official retirement. There was a lot yeah. of speculation. Her husband, Alistair Craig, is uh, heading up the new training group in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, sponsored by our favorite company, Puma. <laughs> And there was a lot of speculation. Was Amy going to try to come back to the marathon? Was she going to run for Puma? Was she going to run for Nike? And everything that came out said that if Amy came back to competition, she would be a Nike athlete. Um, she announced her official retirement today. And she'd been dealing with a lot of chronic fatigue stuff, really, since she uh, ran, I think, the sixth fastest American time ever mm -hmm. uh, back in Tokyo in 2018. And coming off of a bronze medal at the world championships in 17 and an Olympic uh, debut in the marathon in 2016, she had run 10,000 meters in 2012. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, she's going to move into an assistant coach position. So that brings another kind of female coach, although not a head coach, unfortunately, hope I can say that, uh, into the professional running scene. And that group is starting with three people and they're intentionally building pretty slow. So it's kind of good. I think a lot of us who follow Mo Molly Seidel is one of those three people, right? Yeah. So wait, 
She's not. She's not part of that group. Oh, okay. So, but I I thought Miley Seidel was going to North Carolina. She's not. No. Okay, my bad. She's staying in Boston with her. Okay. So, who are the three? um, I actually don't know the names off the top of my head. Sorry to disappoint everybody, but (laughs) (laughs) um, we can look it up and and let you guys know. I I mean, I have. I think I know, but I don't want to make a mistake, so I'd rather just err on the side of caution. Gotcha. Uh, But I think for a lot of us who follow the sport, especially the marathon, we've all kind of been wondering and waiting. What is she going to do for? Really, it's been three years since Tokyo 2018. So I guess for her, it's probably nice to close one chapter and, and open another. Um, just another small piece of news that dropped today worth worth mentioning is a few of the uh, marathon Olympians for the, I guess they're not Olympians until Tokyo happens, but three of the qualifiers, uh, Alphine, Jake Riley, and Abdi are going to come down and race the 10K at Peachtree this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be part of the elite field. I guess it'll be, you know, part of their tune-up as we get pretty close to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And that'll be pretty fun to see them back here, uh, coming back for the first time, obviously, since the marathon trials where they earned their Olympic bursts for Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I think so, too. I think so, too. seem to be happening in elite fields and stuff that just kind of feels normal. Whatever I think that so means too. Now, so. Let's do our let's do our bi monthly check in here. Um, do you think the Olympics are going to happen, Michelle? I mean, the situation in over in Tokyo looks in, in all of Japan looks horrific. Not I mean, great. it's just like it's beyond anemic in terms of the, you know the vaccine scarcity. I just yeah, three point five percent of the population has been vaccinated so far. That's it. And this 8.5%. is, and I think we found out today that 50% of American adults have been vaccinated. And in some places, mm-hmm. a lot of places up to 70. So yeah. yeah, I mean, Japan is in the midst of, a, you know, the throes of this, like, so they, I they, they have just declared, declared their third state of emergency, which is well, there until May 31st. Yeah. Um, they say under the emergency parts of Japan, bars, restaurants, karaoke parlors, and other places serving alcohol are closed. Large commercial facilities can reopen under shorter hours, but in Tokyo and Osaka, uh, even those large facilities are remaining closed because evidently uh, the spread is still pretty high there. Um, <clears throat> and then the, you, is, you, yeah. you might have seen there was actually a, a large uh, medical group, the Tokyo Medical Practitioners Association, which is like a doctor's union representing about 6,000 primary care doctors, um, sent a letter to the prime minister strongly requesting that the authorities convince the IOC that holding Olympics is difficult and obtain its decision to cancel the games. Yeah, it is bewildering to me that with the state of COVID in Japan, that we are still all planning for the Olympic games there. Uh, So uh, do I think it's going to happen? Seems like it's going to happen. Do I understand how? No, not really. Eric, what do you think? I think there's two questions. I think the first question is, is it going to happen? And then the second, and I actually think there's an answer to that question. And the second question is, are all the countries going to participate? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to be the fallout? Because I, I think the, uh, the IOC has said something to the effect of unequivocally, we're going to have the Olympics regardless of the situation. Mm-hmm. So at some level, it sounds like there's going to be a Tokyo Olympics unless there's like some mass exodus of countries that wake up and say, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you know, how can you keep my athletes safe 
with the status of your country, unless they can really turn it around, you know, I, four or 5% vaccination rate. That's not too promising. Yeah. And why is it just, is it just scarcity? No, I think it's, I think it's from, from what I've read and we have a couple of listeners in Japan that can probably help shed light on it a little bit better from what I've read. It's less about scarcity and more about distribution. Um, that there's that there's just been and it's the same in the EU. There's just been really difficult time distributing um, the United States for all the things that we've done wrong. Um, we've actually done a pretty good job, at least more recently, in distributing the vaccine. Um, so alas, not everybody in the United States is getting it, which is mind blowing to me. Um, but but we've done a pretty good job of distributing it. And to where we're at a place now where anybody who's over the age of 12 who wants it in the United States can get it. Um, but, but that's not true around the world. It's not true. Around it just, the world. you know, the, <laughs> I don't know. You, you think of Germany and Japan as the most efficient countries in the world yeah, in the right. manufacturing process. They make the best, absolute best products, period, mm-hmm. you know, electronic vehicles, you name it. Like, let's put the head of Toyota on this. <laughs> let's get the heads of Nissan, Toyota and Honda and say, fix this problem. Like, what? how could this be a problem? They could also send them Chick-fil-A people. I mean, they've got it. <laughs> that, 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 was the, that was the Southern version. The Southern version, the Southern American version, that joke is the Chick-fil-A one, yeah. Um, okay, so that was the first question, Eric. You said there are two questions. The first question is, are they going to have it? And evidently, you say that the answer to that first question is, yeah, they're going to have it in some at, form. At some um, level, in some form. But the, the, and, and then, so, so do you, the second question is, is, our country is going to send their athletes or our athletes actually going to be willing to go. Yeah. yeah, I I think that's interesting. I think a lot of that will depend on the situation in the home country of the athletes. Cause, cause I, I think most Americans, because things are actually kind of turning a corner here and and we seem to be doing pretty well here, feel pretty optimistic about it overall. Um, And so I, I would imagine most of most American Olympians would probably go. I think there'd probably be a lot of European Olympians who are living in places where it's still a difficult situation. Um, who might not actually want to go. Um, I read about an equestrian guy from, uh, from Canada. When um, Canada has struggled with vaccine rollout. Oh, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and he said that he has a history of some, some brain issues. And he's like, I'm not going to risk this. This is not a risk I'm willing to take. And so he, he dropped off of their Olympic team, which must be a pretty um, devastating decision for an Olympic level athlete to have to make, right? Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think it's going to go ahead in some form. I, I, yeah. I, I can't imagine they're going to cancel it, but we'll see. And that, that's coming from my American point of view. Yeah, but we'll see. So I get that. And here's, here's like this. We get into this weird argument even here where say you're, you own a retail store, right? And the CDC comes out and says, hey, we don't have to wear masks anymore. But you know that your retail customers are in both camps, right? Now, some people say, well, the people that are vaccinated, they don't care, right? They'll take their masks off. The problem is the people that aren't masked aren't vaccinated, it's yeah. probably because they didn't care before. In the first place. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so it created this really weird situation. And Melissa and Grace work in re- retail, so, you know, it my wife and daughter, they work in retail. So that, that, that's a real thing. 
Yeah. And one of their businesses was like, we're going to keep masking up and we're going to ask people to wear masks. The other one said, hey, masks off. Wear it if you want. Mm -hmm. Customers can wear it if they want. So, But it's really weird because if you are vaccinated, you shouldn't care. Right. When you look at yourself, so you're, you're this is where I'm getting to what you said. If you say, well, I'm an American, we're all vaccinated, things are cool. We'll go, it's not gonna hurt us. I think that's kind of short-sighted. I, I also think it's kind of not in the spirit of the Olympics because mm -hmm. the, the Olympics aren't just about competition. They're about bringing the world together in one of very, very few events that actually bring the world together. Mm -hmm. So in the act of participating and you know, I, we are vaccinated, you could be not helping the host country and you could be not helping the other countries participate. So if you, if you think about this in that light, I don't know if it's the right thing to go, whether your country's in a good shape or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just some, but I, I still think it's going to happen. I think the, I think the U.S. team is going to participate. You know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. And I think you make an interesting point about, about vaccination versus non-vaccination. And, and I think it is just so difficult for, for those of us inside the United States to truly appreciate what, what the state of the virus is outside of the United States. Um, and so, so traveling outside the United States, particularly to the other side of the world, particularly to a place where you're bringing in people from all sorts of other parts of the world, um, it's a much different prospect. Um, it's a much different prospect from, from going to a domestic race um, with few participants. Um, it should not be, though. Half a oh, I agree with you on that. <laughs> I that over, over half a million people in the U.S. died. So, yeah. Yeah. Over half a million people. I mean, like, how does that not open your eyes? I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, so uh, speaking of, of, of things being a little bit different and thinking of th speaking of, of things being more optimistic here in the United States, I actually went to a parade today um, parade. And, and it wasn't like a jammed parade. Um, and perhaps the reason why the streets weren't teeming with people is because the subject of the parade was the Merida High School cross country team. <laughs> That's right. There was a parade for a cross country team been waiting 30 years for a parade for a cross country team and there was one today and <laughs> all how was it? parents showed and, up and uh, exactly it was me and the parents of the cross country team <laughs> <laughs> but they took a nice little uh they took a nice little jaunt out from one church they did a little lap around the merida square they went the rest of the way over to merida middle school um and my sons and i were out there cheering for them and it was fun so both the boys and the girls cross country teams at merida high school both the both teams, both boys and girls, uh, won the state championship in the largest classification in Georgia, um, beating such powerhouses as Pope High School, where one Eric Hall went to high school, beating Walton High School, where one Michelle Frank went to high school. Yeah, we were um, never that good at cross country. <laughs> and uh, so Walton, no, both Pope and Walton are perennially very good at cross country. So not as good as Marietta, at least in 2020, though. All right. So yeah, it, it was cool going to a cross country parade. Um, let's talk about a couple of other quick, kind of quick things. Let's talk about two other quick pieces of news. Um, one is having to do with running and it's just a quick reference to uh, something that we had talked about before. We had talked earlier on this podcast a few weeks ago about a guy named Hella Sadibe um, and he was running across the United States 
earlier this this week, he made it to New York City. Um, he was running from Los Angeles to, to, to New York City. He was running between about 30 and 50 miles a day. Um, he, uh, he documented the whole thing on uh, Strava. Um, it took him between 80 and 90 days. Um, and, uh, and he got to the finish and proposed to his girlfriend. Um, and so congratulations to him for making that cross-country trip. And of course, congratulations on getting engaged. It was, uh, it was fun to follow along with all the various stuff that he had to say. And then there's another piece of news. We don't normally talk about gymnastics on this uh, podcast, but there was a piece of news about Simone Biles this week. And given the fact that she's the greatest athlete on the planet right now, um, I wanted to mention it. And as soon as I put on our Google Doc that we share to talk about whether we're going to mention it, Michelle totally took it over and started adding all these bonus notes. So, Michelle, take it away and tell us about Simone Biles this past weekend. Okay, we saw gymnastics return to competition uh, for the first time since 2019. And uh, we had seen a few buildups and Simone had been throwing some pretty radical tumbling passes. And she had also shown uh, with spotting this Yurchenko double pike. Uh, the Yurchenko is very difficult. You have to get it around off back handspring. And then you're basically vaulting off the vault just with your hands. Like you're in, you're already in the upside down motion. And then she took that and she did a double pike after she did the round off back handspring onto the vault. So it's a Yurchenko double pike. It has never been landed before by a female in competition. She does it better than any guy who's ever even tried it. And I mean, even she, I think, did she have a tweet that said, don't want, like, can you believe I, I can't just even did believe that? I did that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of great storylines in women's gymnastics right now. There was a lot of misses this past weekend. We saw a lot of these gymnasts in many areas, a lot more rusty than we would think this close to nationals, which is gonna select the Olympic team, which this year the actual team is only four gymnasts. So that's a whole other story in and of itself. But um, there was a lot of pushback. What George had wanted to talk about before I blew up his one paragraph was um, she, the vault has a 6.6 D score, which is a provisional scoring that comes down from the International uh, Federation. and it got a lot of kickback because it just, people thought that it was too low. So, um, so, so and, when you, so when you score a gymnastics routine or when you score a gymnastics meet, um, one of the factors that comes into play in determining what the score that an athlete is going to get for their performance is the difficulty rating of the moves that they're doing. Um, and the difficulty rating that the Yurchenko double pike was given was low. A six points. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the way the incremental scoring works, um, and again, this scoring system is relatively new. It's extremely controversial. It's almost essentially open-ended. Uh, increments go up in 0.4. So the next hardest vault is a 6.4. So this should have had a D score of at least a 6.8, but they held it at a 6.6. It doesn't line up parallel with the men's, the men's version, so to speak. And I think there was just a lot of concern so the way the way that I read it is that that they purposely scored it low because they knew that if they gave it the score that it deserved and nobody else can do it and nobody else is going to dare do it, then she was going to win every single competition going away, that there was going to be no drama in the competition because she was going to be so far ahead of everybody else. And so in order to try and rein her in, um, they gave it an artificially low score. 
That's fascinating. I didn't read that at all. Um, I mean, I think you can make a logical argument for why they've scored it like this, but I'm not saying what you read isn't, I mean, I think ultimately nobody really knows. Mm -hmm. This is her start value is a 25. Nobody can touch her. She fell twice this weekend and she's winning these meets. I mean, sometimes people are making Olympic teams by the tens and the hundreds of a point. She is two and three points ahead of the next best gymnast. I don't, you know, nobody even comes close to her by the time you combine everything. The only place where she's really beatable are bars. She's just not amazing on bars, but. So, so if we want to put it in terms that our listeners can understand as basketball analogy, no, I was going to use a running analogy. Like I said, in, in (laughs) terms that our listeners can understand, Michelle, this is, I think a lot of people could do basketball. Okay, fine. In terms that our listeners can understand as dominant as Elliot Kipchoge has been in the marathon over the course of the past decade, she is even more dominant in her sport, um, by, by significant factor. Yeah. You know, we can also throw in something our listeners will mention. She announced a few weeks ago that she was leaving a uh, contract with Nike and signed just like Allison Felix with Athleta. So it just felt mm-hmm. that they better represented her as a whole person, um, not just, you know, an level and were invested in her future, not only as a gymnast, but, you know, as a female and as everything else that she brings to kind of the sport and girls and uh, anything that she kind of is going to dabble into after gymnastics. So I've seen a lot of that lately. So Eric, they said to Simone Biles, they asked her after the competition, they said, you know, so if you're not going to be getting rewarded, you're not going to get the scores that you deserve for these really dangerous high end performances. Are you going to keep on doing them? Yes. Yeah. They (laughs) said, why? And she said, because I can. Yes. Yeah, sure she can. Exactly. That that should be on every t-shirt. <laughs> no, not only did she land this campaign for whoever promotes her. Exactly. Yeah, that, that every Athleta should should that should be their new line. And in yep. fact, they should get rid of every other line that they have. <laughs> name and they should change it to because I can. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't need to be Athleta anymore. Just because I can. BIC you know, you haven't one thing you haven't touched on about her, she is what thirty percent older than the average professional gymnast. Yeah, but you're seeing a lot of people come back now. I mean, you've got Chelsea Memel coming back after a nine-year break and two kids. I mean, you've got Michaela Skinner. I think she's twenty-four. I mean, there's quite a few. Allie Reisman was in her early twenties back in 2016. I mean, I think this whole uh, trend of pushing, you know closer into your twenties, you don't have to peak at 16. I personally, I mean, I think there's a movement to push seniors to 18 instead of them only having to be 16, but I do think it's great that gymnasts specifically, and I think we see this with a lot of runners also, especially distance runners are peaking later and later, you know, they don't have to be done at 18. I mean, they can have a college career and then come back to elite gymnastics. And I mean, gosh, look at our, female runners they're agreed just running prs all over the place 35 36 37 so male um, runners too you mentioned abdi abdi rahim just a little while ago that guy yeah. over 40 he's qualified for five olympic teams so, so yeah. right and it could have been six <laughs> it's so, just so, yeah yes indeed so this is also important to mention since michelle's only eight days from 40 
so shit george really? <laughs> you're gonna edit that nope Damn. <laughs> Ow. all right um last week we talked to taggart vanette um and uh of course we had a good interview with him we really appreciate him coming on like we said to him we've had all sorts of different people on this podcast before but we never had a current world record holder and we have now we can add that to our resume y'all and uh and he told us all about his training he told us all about what's next uh he posted on instagram this week something that he wasn't willing to tell us um but i guess we talked him into sharing it with everybody so he told us so so michelle you're the you're the instagram person on the podcast what was it that he posted on instagram yeah, so after we recorded last week, we spent a little bit of time just chilling afterwards and talking to him and asking him a bunch of other Michelle stuff. wanted to know what he eats. <laughs> okay, that's a logical question. <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> he told us, he's like, if you guys, you know, if you won't say anything, I'll tell you, you know, what I'm planning to run. And he said that, you know, he wasn't going to kind of put it out there. Um, and he told us that he was hoping to basically get 10 hours, 59 minutes, just under the 11 hour mark. Right. And we thought that was awesome. We also thought it was going to be kept a secret. And then I went on Instagram one day this week and he kind of put it out there on his stories as a goal. So I feel like we were part of an exclusive insider club and now we're not for, anymore. <laughs> we were for about two days. For two days. <laughs> but we're still, we're still he rooting for him. Eric's right. That's what it is. <laughs> when he said it, George immediately says, oh, you could trust us. Yeah, you never trust that person. You never trust that person. Don't worry, we got a podcast. It might still be recording. You don't know. You can trust us, though. Yeah, I think um, you're probably right, Eric. He probably was like, "Oh yeah, there's no way they're keeping that secret." They keep when, when, they, when they debrief the interview next week, they're definitely going to tell everybody what my goal is. So yeah, so, yeah, but it'll be. I mean, he's put out some 50 mile runs on the weekends. I mean, he is fit. I'm super excited to see this race go down next month. So. Yeah, um, yeah, he was trying to decide between shoes today on Instagram. I voted. <laughs> what do you vote? What <laughs> What do you vote for? What What were his choices? Uh, I think Al- it was a Vaporfly and, and an Alphafly. Yeah, so yeah. Um, or maybe a a Vaporfly four percent and an X percent. Okay. Gosh, I hope I didn't get that wrong. I, I hope I don't did, lose my job here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I voted for the orange one. <laughs> <laughs> did you vote for it because it was orange maybe nice very nice no very i just, nice. just i don't uh, have any experience running the next percent so um yeah i just went with kind of what i what i know works so to speak I um, i'm not sure how anything works for 100 work. miles but. apparently you went with what you know that orange shoes are good is that is that how you No, i think i i mean i think it's a vapor fly four percent versus the next percent so i mean he said that he wasn't going to wear the alpha fly again and he posted two different nike shoes so uh he did say and i don't know if he we were recording but um he did get a chance to try out the asics so it'll be interesting to see yeah um if that wasn't one of the options today maybe i would have voted for the asics if it had been but it'll be interesting to see what he wears. So looks like he's got some shoe so options. And um, so what do you think he should wear, George? I think I, what do I, I think he should wear the Carbon X um, or the Carbon I X totally two um, because that's what he wore on the treadmill and that worked well for him. Yeah. I mean, and, and I I just and that's I, yeah. what he wears off the treadmill when he does these yeah. like fifty mile long runs at crazy fast paces and he's forty miles on the treadmill and ten miles yeah. outside. He's wearing that shoe. So I also right. think it's, yeah, why isn't he wearing that shoe for this? I don't Did know. Did you ask him that? No. 
So I I, 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 I sort of presume that he was, but, but so, so I was, I was, I'm kind of surprised to hear that he put something out there on Instagram suggesting that he's not going to be doing that because I, I kind of presume that he was, but yeah, he wore, he wore the alpha fly in his first hundred miler in the tunnel Hill, which is a predominantly downhill race. And then on the treadmill, he wore the carbon X too. And so I just kind of assumed that's what he's going to be doing again, but I guess we'll see. Um, I mean, I think it's good that he's testing out different ones and considering different things and all that sort of thing. I mean, if nothing else, you know, I, I think he came across when we talked to him as very meticulous. Um, I went on to, to his blog um, a little bit more after we had talked to him um, and he had all of his totals from 2019. I was looking at one of his, his last posts from 2019 um, and he was like, here are my totals for, for 2019. And it had the total number of miles he ran, the total number of yards he swam, the total number of, of uh, miles he had ridden on the bike. And then it had the total numbers of minutes he had done a, a, in an ice bath, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> How many minutes in an ice bath? So, so it wasn't a lot, actually. It was literally like 37 minutes. Um, wow. But, but uh, the point being, of course, is that, that he was logging it down to that very degree and then, of course, sharing it on his blog afterwards. And so, so yeah, he comes across as very meticulous. I also thought he came across as somebody who was a little bit stubborn in terms of liking to do things his own way. Um, what gave you that idea? <laughs> and, and I, and I think that that's part of his secret to success, frankly, I think yeah. that's part of the reason why, why he's good. I think you have to have a pretty high degree of stubbornness in order to be, you know, a successful ultra marathoner. Um, but you know, when we ask him what his favorite workout is, he, he, he doesn't really have a favorite workout because he, he just has a workout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has a workout. Um, and, and so, um, I do think that, um, he'd benefit from having a coach, um, you know, so many athletes, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, um, left to your own devices, you do the stuff that you like to do. Um, and, and those tend to be the things that you're better at doing and you feel more fulfilled doing. Um, you, you oftentimes need a coach um, to force you to do the things that you need to do that you don't necessarily want to do. Um, and I think that he would benefit and ultimately be an even better runner than he is if he had a coach forcing him to do the stuff that, that he doesn't really evidently like to do. Um, like 400 but, meter repeats. So, so maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say I would be that coach. I'm not trying to suggest that by any stretch. Um, I'm not trying to like, like, you, you guys know, are not a good fit for each so other. I'm, I'm not trying to low key suggest <laughs> that, that he needs to hire me or something like that. Um, but I, but I do think that, that, uh, he would probably benefit from having another voice in, in his training. Um, I mean, what did y'all think? Am I throwing my bus here? Should I edit this out? Because, because no, I, because... I think it's good. I think on that topic, I mean, I think there's times where people vacillate in and out of having a coach, but I think he's been so successful at what he's doing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really do think he has a good chance next month to come under 11 hours. I mean, I would honestly, I hope he doesn't take this as pressure. I don't even know if he'll listen to this, but I, you know, I would, ex I would be surprised if he didn't come in under that 1059 mark. But I do think that for somebody like him, it's going to take uh, not being successful, you know, and maybe more than one time, kind of a rubber meets the road situation to possibly, you know, kind of look at things and be willing to let somebody else in and take their advice and sure. alter his training a bit. But, um, sure. and he might find, he spoke a lot about, you know, wanting to achieve the uh, Olympic marathon trials mm -hmm. standard for 2024. And, that's so much more technical in a way than just trying to yeah. run a hundred miles fast. So totally it could agree. be that when he gets into that training, um, you know, that would be a great time for somebody like him to pick up a coach. So to speak. it would be like super understandable that 
he could do all this other stuff by himself, but for this, you know, he would lock into that coach. That's kind of going to bring his running to that elite marathon level. But I agree. I think he'll be fun to follow. We'll see what he does. I agree. I agree. Eric, what do you think? There is so much to unpack from the things that he said um, that I think we need a, like a whole podcast for that. But I'll clue into a couple of things he said. We asked him about the coach and he said, I've never had a coach. He said, I don't think I could find a coach that would tell me to run or that would allow me or let me run 250 miles a week. He said that would be okay with me running 250 miles a week. Um, so like there, there is like this ingrained like not necessarily I don't need a coach but kind of what Michelle's saying like what's working works Mm -hmm. and that tied into his when we talked about nutrition he said I didn't just come up with this like I've been doing this my long form you know my long triathlon um, taught me how to do this and, and I carried this forward and that's why I do this and it works and then you mentioned just the meticulousness of how he goes about all of this. And like, he's obviously a very, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I think he's kind of OCD about this stuff. Mm -hmm. He's hyper focused on this. And because of that, it leads up to what I think you, you said something like it's 85% is his mental capacity for this sport is so far beyond most people. He, He is so confident in himself and his preparation and his process that it's kind of like the sky's the limit. And that's, I think he's taking his body to the limit because he knows he can, mm-hmm. um, you know, Michelle, you, you mentioned something about, I think injury during the, the podcast. And I don't know if that was during or after, but he basically said, no, I, I, I can feel that. And I know what to do. I know when to back off. Now, backing off is probably, oh, I'm going to do 175 miles this week and I'm going to average six, you know, 45 pace, you know. <laughs> but he seems to just, it's working. Now, to the point, to Michelle's point of when he fails enough or if he fails enough, maybe he'll he'll seek guidance, you know, maybe this this marathon thing. I, I think that's a, that's a tough transition. You know, maybe yeah. he'll seek guidance for that if it doesn't, if it's not working out. Um I don't know. I think that. pivoting, you know, pivoting in and out of out in and out of these distances and stuff might be what kind of saves the longevity of his career one way or the other. I don't think that and I and I understand he feels that he knows his body best and uh and he did state that on the podcast and I don't think he likes my question very much about <laughs> but we have never seen, you know, an ultra running phenom who comes in and breaks records and just keeps going 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 like eventually the body just, it runs its course. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So. And mind over mattering it right now. And those things could be already happening. And he's just mind over mattering it yeah. and, and getting through it. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think his mind is there. I, I don't know if it's mind over matter. He is definitely fit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do think, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want him to blow up. But I, I think that if, if he, if we do see a big blow up, I don't, no one's going to be that surprised at some point, but yeah. let's see. Let's see what happens next. We we, 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 we do we do wish him the best. So <laughs> so so um and and it might turn out that he is a once in a generation ultra runner and 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 
and we, we can happen say we to, get to talk to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and if that turns out to be the case, that's fantastic. If that does turn out to the case, be the case, I hope that he recognizes that sooner rather than later. <laughs> because, because one of the things that I, that I, that I was very interested in um, and that I don't feel like we ever quite nailed down, and frankly, because I don't think he knows, um, is, is, are you an ultra runner? Are you a marathoner? What are you exactly? And, and I don't think he, I mean, he's only 25 years old, right? And so, so 25, 26 years old. So, so I don't think he had a real clear sense of his identity as, as, uh, as a runner, as an athlete just yet. Um, and so, so we'll see whether he's able to kind of latch onto that and sort of, sort of find that, that place find that niche want to see him run in the Olympic trials so badly because <laughs> so. I want to see him go out like he said yeah zero tactics zero tactics against tactical runners and, and without all the experience they have and see how they react to him mm-hmm. when he takes his second goo <laughs> sure. when, he, when he takes his, his two goo straight <laughs> I want to see so. it thought about the line george four or five times and i'm like i want to see that not because not because i wish badly on him or the other runners i don't i don't necessarily want him to make the olympics you know but but i think it'd be really cool to see that just total wild card Mm -hmm. is he going to be the pacer that wins the race (laughs) but but i i think that a lot of people do i mean most pro marathons happen the way that he described They're, they're kind of races of attrition that, that, that everybody goes out kind of on that rate on that race pace and it's who can hang on the longest and better yet who can survive towards the end when when they end up making a move and injecting a little bit of pace in there um so so he's definitely right that that's the way that race would break down um whether he'd be able to hang on till 26.2 or hang on till 20 or hang on till six um that's not totally clear but um i, I guess we would have to see in the event that he does end up qualifying and, and making the trial so so yeah we will see Dude, the character, uh, i'm really glad we got to talk to him so me too me too and i appreciate his coming on um and, and talking to us um he was for what it's worth um and and we didn't mention this on the, at the time but he was for what it's worth wearing a shirt for a local 5k that oh yeah around. that was great <laughs> <laughs> which which we all got a kick out of <laughs> Long live the 5K. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So speaking of, of ultra running, um, there was a very yeah. unfortunate story that came out this week that, that we do have to talk about. Um, and uh, I almost don't, don't want to talk about it because it's such a horrible story, but but I, I don't think we'd really be doing justice to the story or any, or really anything if, if we didn't mention it. But uh, a lot of y'all probably saw that this past week, there was a race called the Yellow Riverstone Forest 100K, uh, which was starting on the 22nd. Uh, so started on, on May 22nd on Saturday. Um, and it was in the Gansu province, which is located in Northwest China. Um, and there was about 170 runners started the race, uh, started about nine o'clock in the morning. It was supposed to essentially go overnight. Um, and at about, uh, between a third and a halfway into the race, um, very heavy weather settled onto the runners in the race. Um, and basically all the athletes in the race got stranded in the mountains such that ultimately 21 of them died. So um, of hypothermia and and related conditions. Is China uh, twelve hours behind us? Are they ahead of us? What is the what time is no, it? They're in China ahead of right us. They're, 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 they're about twelve hours ahead of us. Yeah. So this started blowing up my phone Saturday night 
mm-hmm. at about 1130 because I sent that text to you guys. It was 1150 p.m. And then by Sunday morning here, it was a full-fledged story and on CNN. Right. So right. if they had started Saturday morning, then we were kind of sleeping Friday night. So That's it right. took almost a 24-hour cycle for this to get back to us. Yeah. When in reality, it happened towards the front end of this 100K. So, right? yeah. yeah, it, it, it happened between 20 and 30 miles, it was. So um, a few hours in, let's say. So, yeah, yeah. And and um, a lot of the the... Uh, some of the runners who survived it, um, and I think that's actually a fair way of characterizing it. Uh, some of the runners who survived it actually posted on some of the social media in China about their experiences. Um, and one of the really gripping ones was a guy named uh, Zhang Zaitao. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of read what it is that he posted here. Um, um, he put, when we started at nine o'clock, there was still a lot of wind and many people's hats were blown off. The first 20 kilometers were okay and the situation was relatively normal. After reaching checkpoint two, the problem started. Checkpoint two to checkpoint three are the climbing sections. This section is also where the accident happened. There was already wind and rain when I was down the mountain and the wind and rain got heavier as I went up. When it was halfway up the mountain, the rain began to be mixed with hail. It kept hitting my face and my eyes began to blur and I couldn't see the road. At that time, I overtook a runner named Huang Guanjun on the road. I greeted him at the time. He pointed his finger to his ear and waved his hand, meaning that he could not hear. Later, I learned that he was deaf and mute. He is actually that guy, um, just as a quick aside, was one of the top Paralympic runners in China. Um, At that time, he was already in a bad state. There was another runner from Guizhou named Wu Penrong. We basically ran together from the beginning of the race. After reaching the middle of the mountain, he began to tremble all over his body and began to tremble when speaking. At that point, I was in fourth. Wu Pan Rong was fifth and Huang Guaijun was sixth. The sad thing is that I am the only survivor of the top six. Mm. When I continued to run up because the wind was too strong, I kept wrestling. I had no less than 10 falls and my limbs were relatively stiff. I felt that my body was slowly out of control. After the last fall, I couldn't get up. At this time, I was still a little aware, so I quickly took the insulation blanket out and put it on. After that, I took out the GPS locator and pressed SOS, and then I passed out. I was passed out on the mountain for about two and a half hours. An old man who kept sheep passed by. He carried me into the cave, made a fire, took off my wet clothes, and wrapped me in a quilt. After an hour or so, I woke up and became conscious. At that time, there were other runners in the cave. They all warmed up in the cave together. Because that place is not easy to rescue, everyone walked down the mountain together after I woke up. After reaching the bottom of the mountain, Bayon's medical staff, armed police, et cetera, all came and searched and rescued all night. I've not slept since I posted a safe video on the platform last night, and I've been waiting for news of search and rescue. Apart from the numbness of my hands, I have some skin injuries. My body is not in serious condition for the time being. Now I'm going back to my hometown to meet with my family so that they can rest assured and thank all of you netizens for your attention. Regarding this accident, as a contestant, I also feel extremely sad, and I would like to express my condolences to all the companions who died. Um, finally, I should be most grateful to the old man who saved me. Um, it's just horrific. Um, Michelle, what do you have to say? Uh, I am trying very hard not to pass judgment in any capacity on anyone in this race because the race director, I mean, could be anybody I know that's a race director, these runners. I mean, the one thing I've had a few people say, would you do that? And it's like, well, yeah, I'd go race hundred K in mountains at altitude. You know, it, it could be any of us. There's, there's 
And also, I just don't think we have enough information. Uh, I mean, I think they knew weather was moving in. I understand there is a fundamental truth to anything can happen in the mountains. I mean, I've experienced a little bit of it myself. I think we all have to some degree. It sounds like, you know, they took stuff with them for nutrition, for warmth. Uh, they were able to press SOS buttons from their cell phones. They grabbed coordinates from their GPS watches. I mean, this is every precaution. Well, I don't want to say every, but these are, you know, seem like, I don't know. It seems like they covered their basic requirements for sending people out into high altitude, you know, potentially dangerous environment, but gosh, there's a lot of judgment <laughs> on yeah. the, on the people in the race and the race director and, you know, the, and the rescue people. And it's just like, well, the, the, the I don't know that we'll ever get the full story. First of all, the language barrier is a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's just, it's just a tragedy. It's, I mean, it feels a little bit like you look at a big expedition up Everest or something. Nobody makes it down alive. I mean, nobody thinks that this is the same type of risk, but it it's, could be just as calculated and just as risky. I, I mean, yeah, the the, the the race organization. So so there is a probe that has been launched by the local government um, in yeah. order to look into exactly what happened and that sort of thing. Uh, the race organization did require runners to carry uh, a race bib, a timing chip, a GPS uh, tracker, a headlamp, a water container with one liter capacity, a whistle, uh, an emergency blanket, a space blanket. And they required them to carry a cell phone. Now, there are some reports that the race management didn't do a very good job of making sure that all the runners at the starting line had all the required stuff. Um, they recommended but did not require the runners to carry electrolyte drinks, uh, sun hat and sunglasses, uh, Vaseline, a buff, trekking poles, a jacket and a first aid kit. Um, and so, so it's not as if they were just like, oh, yeah, y'all go and I don't know, we'll figure it out along the way. I mean, they did have some rules in place here. Um, and, and, and yeah, Eric, what do you think? I think back to like, how do you prevent these sorts of things? And, you know, one's preparation, uh, one's, you know, process. Um, and then I guess the, the last, and what I mean by that is like a proper, like, are you capable of this? These are the conditions. That's kind of like the preparation part. And, and I don't, like, like you said, I don't know how likely this event was. Um, I think that then, then there's process, like what was their process for calling it off? Mm -hmm. Like how, how, how did they make that decision? And then process in the sense of how close were their checkpoints? Were their checkpoints, like, were they given permission to say, hey, it's getting bad, we need to, we need to cut this off. Like how did so many people get caught in this, mm -hmm. you know, this window where they just got slammed and nobody was telling them, Hey, it's done. Like you go home, you know, and I think back, Oh, they carried a cell phone. I'm venturing to guess if they're somewhere where they're climbing in a cave to like get out of the elements, that cell phone wasn't worth much. Yeah. Um, well, the, so the, the act the shepherd. So this is kind of part of the story. The shepherd that found that guy, Zong, that we just read, the, shepherd, the shepherd's name was, uh, was Zhu Kaming. Um, the shepherd was, had already taken refuge in that cave himself. 
he knew the race was going on and he was going to be cheering for the runners as they yeah, came he was by. going to spectate yeah he was going to be a spectator but he had, but then the weather sets in and so he retreats into this cave that he knows because this is kind of his area and he had actually had rations and stuff in that cave for this possibility for himself like for his job as as a shepherd in the mountains um, and when he goes in the cave he finds that five runners have already taken refuge there so he ended up going out of the cave in order to use his cell phone to call the emergency personnel and say hey i got these five runners and that's when he found zong laying unconscious on the ground and yeah. so he's like he's like oh yeah. snap and he picks him up and he brings him into the cave um but like those other two guys that zong said that he was running with they were like, you know, 100 yards, 200 yards, a quarter mile farther down the mountain. And so the shepherd, of course, didn't see them and he wasn't able to actually get to them. And um, my understanding from some of the, what I read is that the wind was so strong that it actually blew the runners off these ridges of the mountains. Yeah. So yeah. it could be that, I mean, he was in the top six, but where they were one versus the other, I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's no way to know that, that they were just, X meters in front of him in yeah. the same place. Um, well, and think think through this. He was in what essentially fourth place yeah. when he passed out. Yeah, there were multiple people in the cave when he was finally brought in there because he laid yeah. two hours. Yeah. So they went right by him. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that they saw him, but I'm saying the conditions were such that they actually went by him, didn't see him, yeah. and and the shepherd, you know, Zhu, this guy's obviously a a freaking hero right if, if, if anything good came out of this like his nature and pre preparation <laughs> goes right. back to that and not and like getting you know saving all these runners but yeah I, so so i go back to like i think this is a process failure and a preparation failure i, I think they they probably knew they should pull the plug before it starts before it started i don't think they had a real good system for when it started to pull the plug yeah, I think mean, that's true. There's a lot of fault in that. You know? So, so, so what? Most of the stuff that I've read. So, to take those two things you pointed to, Eric, that on on the part of the race organizers, um, did they know that this was a possibility? One, and and did they have good processes, like emergency processes, in place? The 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 answer that I'm seeing early on in this is that you know that weather is a possibility when you're in the mountainous region of, of, of China. And they did have weather forecasts, but this was far more severe than what had been forecast and what they were expecting. So, so, there's, so, so there's that. Weather um, just happened. Yeah. Um, but, then, but then the other thing, but then, the, but, but then that goes into the second thing. The second thing was, was okay, so given that, what what emergency procedures did they have in place and that's where they've gotten a lot of criticism is that that it took too long to mobilize the emergency people um to be able to go into the mountains and actually start finding some of these half or fully frozen people um and so so mobilizing it and and getting the word out and and calling the emergency if you will like declaring the emergency um, they were evidently a little bit slow to do that. Yeah. Eric, do you really think at, at a high altitude, like weather just doesn't happen? I mean, I've, I've literally, I mean, it does sometimes happen. A storm rolls in fast and it's way, and you think it's going to be rain and it turns to hail. And I mean, to, to the, to the person in the event. Yes. 
to the person like in the event, to the people planning the event, you can see the weather coming. The weather patterns aren't that random. I, I, this is my personal opinion. I mean, I, and, and no, again, I'm curious. I'm, 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 I'm sort of fascinated by the emphasis that you put when you say that, because I, I feel the opposite. I feel it's a risk, like so, weather yeah, happens so, in the mountains. Yeah, Michelle, Michelle and I disagree a little bit on this. Well, it, it is a risk and it's a risk you take, but the race organizers are supposed to at least explain the range of the risk and, if, and make the call when the risk is too much. Yeah, I agree. And even if, so let's say they had a great procedure for doing this and let's say it comes out that they did call the race. Well, then they didn't have the systems in place to actually like call the race. Right. <laughs> yeah, me. sure. Like, are the checkpoints... 15 miles apart and that's the one section where people are going to get blown off the mountain hmm we didn't think about that really well right were we tracking them their position as I they mean, through it, or were we requiring them to hit the sos button to find out where they were when it was an emergency sure yeah so I, i'm you know and i am totally armchair quarterbacking this this is yeah, i'm just saying yeah. two things that came to mind were you know preparation and then the process for this eventuality yeah. I, don't I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know the race director has taken responsibility, right, George? I mean, that's the, what the, we've... The, the local government, because it's China. And so there, right. there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of overlap between governments and, and organizations, right? Right. And so, so the local government had to have a central role in the licensing and in the execution of the race. Right. Um, and so there are some local government officials that have taken blame for it and, and have apologized, which is not a small thing to do in, in China, China. <laughs> because you can get the death penalty, literally. Sure. Like so. that's not, they can literally be executed for that. Yeah. Um, and so, so for them to take blame for that is actually a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with the probe. We'll see, you know, whether, whether in fact we end up hearing what the, what the results of the probe are. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, my inclination is similar to yours, Eric. And I know it's a little bit different from Michelle's like, well, I'm just trying not my, to my, like yeah. veer on the side of where you guys are veering. Because yeah. I, feel I, like I mean, but my, my inclination, and I don't want anybody getting executed. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't want anybody getting the death penalty, but my, my inclination is that, that this is the responsibility of, or this is more due to a failing on the part of the race organization as opposed to the runners themselves. Yeah, I guess we'll see. How long do you think it'll take? I mean, do you think we'll know? You think it'll come know. out? Well, and, and yeah, those are two different questions. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, how long will it take and will we find out when in fact it happens? We'll see. we'll see. I think the key of this is, you know, these things are gonna happen. What do we not, what do we do myopically about this one event, but mm -hmm. how do we, prevent this the next time yeah and we, yeah. we being like the runner and yeah. we being the race director yeah and and to go back to like was this possible weather the sheep herder had a cave with provisions the ability right. to make fire and he planned for this so right. this wasn't a t total surprise right right for sure i do think uh every race director out there is is taking something from what happened in China and, and looking at their their specific race and yeah, I, I do so. think most ultra runners are kind of realizing wow that could have been me <laughs> yeah so I mean this is this is by far the biggest tragedy ever hit the ultra running community um and and so it's it's obviously something that it should have pretty wide-reaching ramifications yeah yeah
Um, all right. Well, that's a sad note on which to end this week. Um, but uh, but we've been talking for an hour about a wide variety of things. So so we probably got to roll. Um, Eric, last word. Uh, just, you know, uh, prayers go out to all those, the right. families affected by that run. Um, and like I said, I hope we really take hold of that and learn from it to go forward. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts. Michelle, right. Last word. I've been pretty excited the last two days about leaving and not being in cell phone service this weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of <laughs> thinking, uh, I did, I did download a GPX file, but kind of thinking I should check out how to use that SOS feature on my phone before I, uh, Maybe head out into the forest tomorrow Maybe. afternoon, but uh, yeah. So I am reminded been talking about this and talking about Japan and talking about COVID. We live in a big world. Um, we, we live on a giant planet and not everybody is having the same experiences that we are. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Eric, see you next time. Always fun. Thanks, George. Thanks, Michelle. Michelle, see you next time. I thought you were going to forget me there. <laughs> never, never. I guess. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.